Psalm 102, we'll be reading the entire psalm. This is what Holy Scripture says. A prayer of one afflicted when he is faint and pours out his complaint before the Lord. Hear my prayer, O Lord. Let my cry come to you. Do not hide your face from me in the day of my distress. Incline your ear to me. Answer me speedily in the day when I call. For my days pass away like smoke, and my bones burn like a furnace. My heart is struck down like grass and has withered. I forget to eat my bread. Because of my loud groaning, my bones cling to my flesh. I'm like a desert owl of the wilderness, like an owl of the waste places. I lie awake. I'm like a lonely sparrow on the housetop. All the day my enemies taunt me. Those who deride me use my name for a curse. For I eat ashes like bread and mingle tears with my drink because of your indignation and anger. For you have taken me up and thrown me down. My days are like an evening shadow. I wither away like grass. But you, O Lord, are enthroned forever. You are remembered throughout all generations. You will arise and have pity on Zion. It is the time to favor her. The appointed time has come. For your servants hold her stones dear and have pity on her dust. Nations will fear the name of the Lord, and all the kings of the earth will fear your glory. For the Lord builds up Zion. He appears in his glory. He regards the prayer of the destitute and does not despise their prayer. Let this be recorded for a generation to come, so that a people yet to be created may praise the Lord, that he looked down from his holy height from heaven, the Lord looked at the earth to hear the groans of the prisoners, to set free those who are doomed to die, that they may declare in Zion the name of the Lord and in Jerusalem his praise when peoples gather together and kingdoms to worship the Lord. He has broken my strength in mid-course. He has shortened my days. Oh, my God, I say, take me not away in the midst of my days you whose years endure throughout all generations. Of old, you laid the foundation of the earth, and the heavens are the work of your hands. They will perish, but you will remain. They will all wear out like a garment. You will change them like a robe, and they will pass away, but you are the same, and your years have no end. The children of your servants shall dwell secure. Their offspring shall be established before you. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Friends of Christ, let's bow our heads and ask the Lord to bless us. O oh Lord, Father God, we come to you as those who are weary, looking for rest. We come to you as those who mourn, seeking to lay our head upon your breast. And yet we sing to you, Lord Jesus, for you sit on the throne as the king of heaven, and we belong to you. So remind us in this moment, Lord, as we open your holy scriptures to hear what you would say to us, remind us that we are the forgiven people of God. Remind us that we are the loved people of God by grace through faith. I pray, Lord, that you would Help me to speak the truth, the whole truth, and nothing but the truth. And that you would allow that the words of this mouth and the meditations of all of our hearts would be pleasing unto you. Shine your light upon our minds, our hearts, and upon your holy word, Lord, for we're listening. We're here to hear from you. Amen. Well, please do keep your Bibles open to Psalm 102. So, brothers and sisters in the Lord Jesus Christ, this is my first time here, and when you're a guest pastor at a, at a church you've never been to, you look out on all of these sea of faces, 
and you don't know anybody. And you have no idea what's going on in people's lives. That's very different. When I preach at my own church, I know what's going on in their life, and I know what's happening in their life, and I know what they're going through, and I know what they did last week. But I don't know anything about you. Nothing. But here's the thing. I I bet that if I were to get to know you, and if I were to scratch on the surface of your life a little bit, well, then I would find what I find in my own church, and I would find what I find in my own life, that I would find a people with a bunch of joys and, and things to smile about, things to be thankful for, but I would also find a bunch of things that are bothering you, a bunch of things that you're finding difficult, a bunch of things that are really hard. I'd find some pain, wouldn't I? And some suffering. So maybe you can help me get to know you a little bit. I'm, I'm going to ask you to do this for my sake, okay? Raise your hand and then keep it up. If you or someone that's close to you, someone that you love, is currently going through some sort of mental, emotional, spiritual, physical pain, suffering, illness, relational difficulties, raise your hand if you or somebody that you know is going through that, and just keep your hand up there. And so then just look around a little bit. That's a lot of hands. You can put them down. That's a lot of hands. Each hand also probably represents some tears, doesn't it? Yeah. Even, even you younger boys and girls know a little bit about pain and suffering, not just when you skin your knee when you fall off your bicycle, but you also know what it's to have difficulty in your life and, and to have suffering in your life. And when you have that, it hurts. And it doesn't just hurt for you when you suffer, but it hurts when people around you suffer, when a loved one suffers, or when someone in your church suffers. 1 Corinthians 12 says that if one member of the church suffers, well, then everybody suffers with them. That's true, isn't it? That's true. Because you here at Grace Fellowship, you're one body, right? And then if one member of the body suffers, then you feel that too, and you suffer with them. And so the church is also a place where we, well, it's a place we get together on Sunday morning to praise God, but it's a place that we also can cry together with over our, over our sufferings, our mutual sufferings and the things that we individually suffer. You know, the, the Bible tells us that the world started in a garden where there was no suffering. Just smiles. And the Bible tells us that the world's going to end in, in, a, in a city with no suffering. Just good things. But you and me are stuck right in the middle. We don't live there, and we don't live there. We live in this tear-filled middle, in this suffering middle, where even though I don't know you, I know that you have pain in your life. And you can bet I do too. And I know that you have tears in your life. And you know that I do too. Maybe right now as I'm speaking, as you manage to to crawl your way to church this Sunday morning, you've got some profound suffering in your life. You've got something that's weighing heavily on you. And I know from personal experience that when I'm really suffering or I'm really experiencing emotional pain or physical pain, then I don't particularly want to have a pastor preach at me, thank you very much. Like, it helps if I've got somebody who maybe gives me a hug or, or somebody who sits with me or prays with me, or someone, especially if that someone knows what I'm going through, right? We have support groups all over the place that we get together with people that know what we're going through, people who know the kind of pain and suffering that, that we're going through. That's helpful. Well, thinking about that, I'd like to draw your attention to the title of this psalm. What's the title of Psalm 102? A prayer of one afflicted when he's faint and pours out his complaint before the Lord. So you didn't come here to hear me speak. You came here to hear the Lord speak through Holy Scripture. And this psalmist knows exactly what you're feeling, as the Lord himself knows what you've gone through. This is an afflicted one. This is somebody who's in the depths of sadness and pain and suffering. And so I'd like you to imagine, if you can, this morning that this psalmist, the person who wrote this psalm, is is come here to visit. And he's come here to visit, and he's going to hold your hand. And he's going to pray with you. And he's going to encourage you as someone who knows what you're going through. 
And then my hope, my prayer, is that by the end of the sermon, by the end of the sermon, you won't just be encouraged by some imaginary psalmist that has come here, or just by the psalm. My hope is that by the end of the sermon, you will have been encouraged by the Lord himself, that you will feel that it's the Lord himself who has visited you today. And it's the Lord himself who has wrapped you in his loving arms, in whatever pain and whatever suffering you're going through. And that he's listening to you. And that he's loving you in your suffering. Psalm 102 is a, is a prayer in the form of a poem. If I had to give it a title, and I don't write the titles in the Bible, but if I had to give it a title, I would call it this. I would give the title of this psalm, Tears in your eyes, praise on your lips. So all you boys and girls can do that with me, okay? Tears in your eyes, you point to your eyes, yeah. Praise on your lips. And that way, when mom or dad or grandma or grandpa ask you, what was the sermon about this morning? You can say, tears in your eyes, praise on your lips. That's what the title of it, that I've given this sermon, this, this psalm, and that's what we're going to look at. And if you want more for that, I know there's a section for notes in your, uh, in your bulletin if you wanted to follow along. I'm going to talk about three broad areas that I'm pulling out of this psalm. One is that this psalm talks about suffering. And in the second place, this psalm talks about God. And then in the third place, it takes those two things, suffering and God, and puts them together. So tears in your eyes. Praise on your lips. Let's talk about suffering. Let's talk about God. And then let's put them together. First, suffering. If you look at the psalm, how much time does this afflicted man spend talking about his suffering? Verses 1 through 11. There are only 28 verses in this psalm, and he spends 11 verses talking about his suffering, 11 verses. This is a psalmist, this is an afflicted believer who is not going to minimize his suffering. He's not going to try to be oh so polite about his suffering. He's not going to pretend that what he's going through is no big deal. He's going to spend 11 verses of this psalm talking about it, 11 verses of this psalm. And as you pass through these 11 verses, if you listen carefully, even in, in translation, you can hear the desperation in his voice. You can hear the pain in his voice. And as you read that, by God's design, it gives, it gives words to your own pain. It gives words to your own sorrow. That's how we ought to, to read the Psalms. Psalm 1 says we ought to meditate on these words day and night, and these words then become our own. And so as, as I work through this psalm with you this morning, I would like you to think about your own suffering. Think in your mind even now, what is the, the particular suffering that you're facing? Or what is the suffering of a loved one that you know of? What are they going through? What is perhaps the person in the chair next to you or in front of you or behind you going through? What's the suffering going on in my own life? You know, when you, when you come preach at, a, at a, another church, you have to choose what sermon you're going to preach. So sometimes what you do is you pick your best sermon because you really want to impress them. And then sometimes you pick the last sermon that you preached because that's the one that you're familiar with. Or sometimes, like I've done today, you pick a sermon that you worked on a long time ago but you think would be good for your own soul because you're faced with your own suffering. What are you facing? What am I facing? And then let's allow God through this psalmist to give words to that through the inspiration of the Holy Spirit that these words might speak words to our own tears, to our own suffering. And so we look at just these, these first two verses. A prayer of one afflicted when he's faint and pours out his complaint before the Lord. Hear my prayer, O Lord. Let my cry come to you. Don't hide your face from me in the day of my distress. Incline your ear to me. Answer me speedily in the day when I call. You can hear the urgency, can't you? He's at the end of his rope. He's at the end of his rope. He's got nothing left. He doesn't want a doctor. 
He doesn't want, he does, that's going to take too long. Somebody who's eventually going to come and see what's wrong. He wants God to rescue him. He's like, Lord, come now. I need you to come now. Hurry up, Lord. I don't know if I'm going to make it. Now's the time. The next verse is, For my days pass away like smoke. My bones burn like a furnace. My heart is struck down like grass and is withered. Forget to eat my bread. Because of my loud groaning, my bones cling to my flesh. It feels like time is running out. And he's just shriveling up inside. Can't do it anymore. You ever feel like that? Some of you feeling like that now? The pain's just taken over his life. So much so that he forgets to eat. He's groaning, he's crying so much that it's hurting him inside. That happens, right? When you're grieving, when you're when when you're horribly depressed, when you're experiencing all kinds of pain, it could make your body itself just ache and it feels like his skin is sticking to his bones. See, this guy knows what suffering is like. He knows what it's like. And he admits it. He writes a song and gets the church to sing about it. It's not wimpy to admit your pain, is it? He just tells it like it is. It's not wimpy to admit your pain. I grew up in a culture where real men don't cry. Maybe some of you grew up like that too. Where your parents or those in authority told you if you got tears in your eyes, don't cry. Be a man. Don't cry, especially not in public. Be a tough, a tough cowboy. I worked for a while in West Africa and worked amongst the Fulani people in, in, in northern Mali. They make American cowboys look like wimps. They're like the toughest people you can imagine. I had a missionary friend who rolled up to a village in, in his car and, and he shut the door behind him, talked to people for about an hour, and then went to go open up his door, and he noticed that he had slammed the door on the hand of a young boy. And the boy just stood there for an hour with his hand slammed in the door, didn't tell anybody. Tough. Don't cry in public. But you're not tough and you're not more spiritual if you just hide your suffering. It's not true. And then, and then sometimes we say to ourselves, oh, but my pain is nothing compared to that person. Or like, what I'm going through is not as, not as bad as that person, so I, I don't need to talk about it. You ever think like that? You ever say that to yourself? Do you find that in this psalm? You don't find any of that in, that song, in this psalm. The psalmist is somebody who takes his suffering seriously by expressing it, not by hiding it. And if one member of the church suffers, then we all suffer, but that only happens if you're willing to admit that you suffer. And that's especially true if you're suffering today from something that people can't see, right? If, you know, if, if someone can see from the outside that you're suffering, well, then they just know that you're suffering. But if you got a sore back, or if you're suffering with paralyzing anxiety or depression, or you're mourning, you're grieving over something, or you're, you're struggling with your mental health, or whatever it might be, then people can't see it. You can't see it. And so you need, people need to know about it. And, well, they're not going to know about it. I'm not going to know about it unless I ask. So we need also to learn to ask each other about how we're really doing, getting past just the, hey, how you doing? Yeah, I'm fine. And maybe ask some more real questions of each other in the church. And then when you ask somebody, how you doing? They're like, oh, I'm fine. And they bite their lip and the tears well up on their eyes. And then you can say, no, I know you're not doing fine. I know you're not doing fine. And maybe you can give them a hug and you can not judge them and you can give them space in the church to be able to express their pain and their sorrow like the psalmist does. Eleven verses. Eleven verses out of 28 verses. Take your pain and your suffering seriously. Take your pain and your suffering 
seriously. This psalmist, this psalmist is going to talk about God in a, in a little bit, but he's not in a hurry to get there. He's not in a hurry to get there. He's taking the tears in his eyes seriously. Sometimes, and it's a weird thing for a Christian pastor to say, but sometimes I think in the church we talk about God too fast. Where maybe what we need to do is just allow people to express their pain and their suffering a bit. I've had a funeral director say that Christians talk way too much at funerals. Maybe we need to learn a lesson from the the friends of Job who sat with Job in his suffering. We need to cry with those who cry before we give them comfort. To share our pain and have it shared in the church. I mean, if you can't do that here, if you can't share and you you can't cry with others here in the church, where else can you do it? Verse 6, I am like a desert owl of the wilderness, like an owl of the waste places. I lie awake like a lonely sparrow on the housetop. All the day my enemies taunt me, and those who deride me use my name for a curse. Well, let me ask if you're like the psalmist, does sometimes your suffering keep you up at night? Sometimes that happens, right? When you're not doing well, you wake up in the middle of the night, your thoughts are racing, or your whatever it is you're suffering from you is causing you not to allow you to sleep. And then those night times, I know from personal experience, those night times can be so lonely. Everyone else is sleeping, the world's gone to bed, and you're awake, you and your pain. Physical suffering, your emotional suffering can also become social suffering, relational suffering, where we feel lonely in our pain. The desert owl that he mentions is an unclean bird in a deserted place, and suffering can make you feel like that. The sparrow is alone on a housetop, on a rooftop. meditating on this text and I chatting to my, my wife who is my best sermon critic and I said to her well, do you ever feel like a bird on a, on a rooftop and she looked at me and said Winston nobody ever feels like a bird on a rooftop that's a silly way to put it the image is one of loneliness a sparrow he's not with the flock he's by himself maybe looking for a friend and I wonder how many of you felt like that where in your suffering, you've become lonely. You might be surrounded by other people, but you still feel like nobody gets it, nobody understands. You can feel so alone, like nobody cares, like nobody understands, like people showed a whole lot of interest in me in the beginning in my suffering, but then life just moved on. They all seem to have forgotten about it, but it's still real for me, and it still surges up for me in ways that I, that I can't even comprehend. I'm lonely. The psalmist knows this. He knows what it's like to be super alone when you're surrounded by people. Even you boys and girls can know what that's like. You young people surrounded by people at school. But how you can feel so alone. That is also part of the tears in our eyes. Tears in our eyes. Sometimes the worst thing about about pain and suffering is the social stigma, is the social suffering. In this psalm, he talks about his enemies taunting him, using his name as a curse. Well, maybe you don't have people, you know, cursing you in your sickness, but maybe you've experienced, you know, especially if you have chronic pain, chronic suffering in your life, or, you know, your, your grief is taking a little bit longer than the people around you think it ought to, and you could sort of almost feel them eye rolling and being like, well, when is he going to get over it? What does that even mean to get over something? Sometimes it's just that people don't know how to act around you when you're suffering, right? I mean, what do you, you, have, you know somebody over there has just got cancer, and what, what do I say to them? Like, what? I don't know what to say to them. What am, I, what am I supposed to say? And so then what you do is you just sort of like, you turn and walk the other way after church with your coffee because you don't know what to say to them. You don't have to say much. You can say, I heard the news, I'm thinking about you. 
I'm sorry what happened to you. I promise to pray for you. And then maybe just listen to them. Maybe you could think about what to say to them afterwards and maybe write them a note of encouragement. But please don't avoid them. Don't leave people in this church alone in their suffering. I don't know you very well, but I can bet that there are some people here that are here and you're saying, yeah, I feel lonely also in this church and in my pain. Don't allow that to be. Move toward people in their suffering, not away from them. And then for those of us who are suffering, sometimes what we do is we shut people out. We don't allow them to get close, right? We don't give them opportunities to minister us. We, we put on a good face and a happy smile. And we're like, yeah, we're, we're, we're doing okay. And then, then we go home and we feel lonely. Not that it's easy, right? Sometimes when you're suffering, frankly, you just want to be alone. Like, I wonder if Job felt like that. He's like, all right, guys, like sitting around for a long time, could you just leave me alone? I, I get that. But even when you're suffering, you re must remember that you're part of the body of Christ. God gives you the church to help you, so you have to struggle also to open yourself up even in the vulnerability of your pain and suffering and allow people to minister to you, to give them that opportunity. We're at verse 9 where he says, For I eat ashes like bread and mingle tears with my drink. The ashes are probably the ashes that he's put on his head like Job did. He's put on sackcloth and ashes. He's put on ashes and then he's sitting dejected and his ashes are falling into his food and into his drink. It's like the pain in his life is now affecting everything. It's like it's put a, a dark varnish on everything of his life. It's just affecting his, it's even affecting his eating and his drinking. Suffering does that, right? Sometimes you can be like, I got so many reasons to be thankful, but I'm suffering in this area and every just th everything just feels bland. Everything feels gray. The things that I normally enjoy are just nah, like they're tasteless. My life has been covered in the ashes of my suffering. And everything can feel dull. Blah. Wonder if any of you are feeling like that this morning. In verse 10, we read, Because of your indignation and anger, because for you have taken me up and thrown me down. There are other psalms that speak about uh, the psalmist admits that he is suffering because he is under the judgment of God for a particular sin. As I've been meditating on this psalm, it doesn't seem to be the case here. It is also true that when you are suffering deeply, often in your suffering you have a heightened sense or a heightened recognition of your own sins and of your own living in a broken, sinful, fallen world. So I'm not convinced that this, in this particular psalm that this is a psalm that the psalmist has committed a sin and he's suffering God's judgment for it. it it's more as if he feels like the Lord is angry at him. He, he, he understands that he's living in this broken, sinful, fallen world where terrible things happen. It says in verse 11, My days are like an evening shadow. I wither away like grass. In, in this verse, he, he says his, his, day, his, his life is withering away. I'm withering away. In verse 4, it was just his heart that was withering, and now it's his whole life that's withering away. So he's like his whole body is... His whole body is just is disintegrating. Suffering can make you so sad. I've never suffered with depression myself or anxiety. The closest I've gotten is I've had some panic attacks. But I've had a front row seat to the depression of my wife for about the first 20 years of our marriage. If you know what that's like, you, then you know that sometimes you can feel so sad, so despondent, so dark. Like the world is just closing in on you, that life itself is slipping away. He feels the psalmist like the evening shadow, the darkness is closing in, and that his life is going to end. That it's going to end. Or perhaps that he wishes it would. 
11 verses of suffering, 11 verses filled with tears. You can imagine the psalmist who's come to visit you and he's holding your hand and he's looking at all of your suffering and there's tears running down his cheeks as there's tears running down yours and he knows what you're going through. He knows what you're experiencing, the physical pain, the emotional pain, the social pain, the suffering. It's real, isn't it? Isn't it? Tears in our eyes. Tears in our eyes. This psalm takes the tears in your eyes seriously. It's like the psalmist comes and he holds your hand and he looks at all of the, all of the nasty stuff going on in, all your, in your life and all of your pain and all of your suffering. And he looks at the life, looks it in the eyes and he says, this hurts, this sucks, this is terrible, I hate it and I'm crying with you. I'm crying with you because we live in a messed up, hurting, suffering world. And, and so the psalmist cries into his cup. And we got to learn to cry with them. Because this psalm gives words to our own suffering. Tears in our eyes. Eleven verses of suffering. And then, verse 12 which starts with the word, but. Hmm. But. But you, O Lord, are enthroned forever. You are remembered throughout all generations. This is a psalmist. This is a psalm that takes your suffering so seriously. There's nothing that's swept under the carpet. But now he also then wants to take God seriously. He wants to take God seriously. The suffering person is like smoke that blows away, like an evening shadow, but the Lord is enthroned forever. The Lord has no beginning and no end. The psalmist wants to take our suffering seriously, but he also wants us to have a very big view of God. A big view of God, a big view of his power, and a big view of his majesty, a God that transcends time and space. This is so important, brothers and sisters, because this is what suffering does. Suffering, like if you have like a cup and a saucer, suffering takes the cup and it puts the cup over top of you so that it's just darkness inside. Suffering tends to close you off in this self-referential bubble of, of, of darkness where you can't see anything else, and you're stuck. And now what the psalmist does is he wants to lift that cup off the, off the saucer so you can see something bigger, so that you can see something beautiful, so that you can see something so much larger than yourself and your, and your suffering, as much as we take that self and suffering seriously. He wants us to, to cast our eyes from our suffering after 11 verses to the Lord God who knows everything. The Lord God eternal who knows, who knows intimately my suffering. The Lord God who knows all of your suffering but also knows all of the suffering of all of the saints, of all of the people across all of the world throughout all of time. This big and eternal God. Think about that. The Lord knows your suffering, and he knows what your suffering is, and he knows very much what your suffering is, and what your suffering is, and your suffering, and he knows mine. But all of that suffering, which we take seriously, is part of a, a gigantic mural of suffering from the, from the perfection of the first garden to the perfection of the final city, a mural of suffering transcending all of time. God understands and sees it all as it's painted on the canvas of history from Eden to the New Jerusalem. He sees it all. And it's as, as if the psalmist in the middle of his suffering says, but, and now he catches a vision, a vision of, of a great and eternal, a big and a magnificent God with a big plan, a big plan of redemption. He has a moment of clarity in the middle of his tears, a moment of clarity in the middle of his suffering where he realizes that God is up to something way bigger than just my, what's going on in my own life. And that's true for every one of you. God is up to something way bigger than just what happens to be going on in my life or going on in, our, in, in your life. So look at verses 13 
through 16. You will arise and have pity on Zion. It is the time to favor her. The appointed time has come. For your servants hold her stones dear and have pity on her dust. Nations will fear the name of the Lord and all the kings of the earth will fear your glory. For the Lord builds up Zion. He appears in his glory. The Lord builds up Zion. The Lord is building his church. The Lord is busy across time building the church for himself, restoring his people to himself. The Lord is busy calling in believers from all the nations and all the places of the world. Our big and our wonderful and our majestic and our awesome God is enacting in history a big and awesome, beautiful plan of redemption from Eden to the new Jerusalem, all for his own glory. And it's not just redemption from physical pain. It is that. It's not just redemption from, from, uh, from physical suffering, although it is that. It's redemption from eternal suffering. The Lord is at work. And this psalmist who takes our suffering so seriously doesn't want us, you and me, to lose the, that big picture. He doesn't want us to lose sight that the Lord is at work in big and massive ways in our lives. And he reminds us of that because I'm convinced that this afflicted man, he knows that that can be so hard. It can be so easy to miss that. And so hard to hold on to it. Because when you're eating dust and ashes, it can be so hard to look up to the sky. When you're stuck in your suffering and your pain, it can be so hard to lift up your head and look at God again. And so the Lord in his mercy gives us Psalm 102 to remind us to do it. To remind you to do it this morning. Psalm that helps us to take our tears so seriously and to take our need to, for God seriously. The vision of God, our majestic God, working through history. To see our small place in his big, beautiful, glorious, majestic plan of redemption unfolding across the world. The afflicted man of Psalm 102, he's looking forward, it seems, to the rebuilding of Zion, the city of Jerusalem, the presence of God with his people. And so we look forward to the new Jerusalem where every knee will bow before Jesus Christ and where not just our suffering and our pain but also our sin and the suffering and pain of the sin of the whole world will finally all come to an end. It'll all come to an end and God will receive the glory. Hallelujah. Are you looking forward to that? I am. I imagine somebody here being like, well, that's all fine and dandy, Pastor, but when I'm suffering and I think about God, he only just seems big and, like, you know, concerned about this big plan with this big picture. He doesn't seem close. So as you, you, you tell me to lift the cup off the saucer and, and see this big plan, well, that, that's what God only seems to me in the middle of my suffering. He seems distant. He seems far away. Sometimes we can feel like that. Or we feel a little bit like we're trying to convince ourselves that God does care or that God is close. I want you to notice something. These last verses that we just read, the psalmist calls God Lord. Lord, Yahweh. That's an important thing to note. Yahweh is the relational name of God. It's the name that he... He reveals himself as to Moses in the burning bush. It's the name that he uses when he approaches his people to save them. It's his covenant name. And so God, our God, is big and majestic with a plan that stretches across time. It's so much bigger than us, but he's also Yahweh, our covenant God, our relational God who draws close to us in the middle of our suffering, in the middle of our sin. And so as we pray as suffering people, we pray not just to God, but we pray to Yahweh. We pray to our covenant God. We pray to a God that, that has drawn close to us in Jesus Christ. And so then as we, we look from the vantage point of all of our tears at that big, majestic, glorious plan of redemption that the, that the Lord is, is painting across the, the plan of history, 
Then we read in verse 11, He, the Lord Yahweh, regards or responds to the prayer of the destitute and does not despise their prayer. I love this verse. This is one you should write out, put on your refrigerator. Listen to it again. He regards the prayer of the destitute. He does not despise their prayer. Just because God is big, and He is, and just because God is majestic, and He is, and just because God is, is enacting a plan of redemption from the beginning to the end across the history of the world, and He is, it doesn't mean that He's not concerned with you as an individual and your prayer. He is concerned about that. He's both our big, majestic, glorious God, and He's the God who Yahweh who draws close to us. He's the Lord. And you don't have to book an appointment to get some time with Him. He's the Lord who's not too busy to listen to you. He's the Lord who doesn't play with His phone while you're trying to get His attention. He's the covenant God who does not despise your prayers and has regard for you when you speak to Him. Yeah, you're small, but the Lord created you for Himself. And he's made you part of his big plan. And so the Lord doesn't just listen to you a little bit. He listens to you with all of his attention because he cares for you. And because he loves you. I'm preaching this sermon after we have collectively repented of our sins and heard of the assurance of God's forgiveness. I'm preaching this sermon primarily to you, those of you by grace through faith have put your trust in the Lord Jesus Christ and for whom the God of heaven and earth has nothing but unadulterated, pure, eternal love for you. The Lord loves you. Are you hearing me? The Lord loves you. The Lord loves you. And the Lord loves me. Despite my sin and despite my suffering. Or better yet, in the middle of it all, He loves us. Do you hear that, boys and girls? God loves you. And he listens to all 11 verses of your tears. He's not too big or busy. You know what God does when you're suffering and you cry? Psalm 56 says that he collects your tears and puts them in his bottle. And he registers them in his book. Every tear that you have ever shed including the ones you tried so hard to hold back, or the ones you cried in the shower so that nobody could tell. The Lord saw them all, and he collected each one of them, and he registered in them, them in his book. All of your tears, all of your suffering, all of those tears, even in those moments where you could not pray, those tears became the prayers by the grace of the Holy Spirit. Yahweh, the majestic God of the universe, has been paying attention to you, brother. Yahweh, the majestic God of the universe, has been paying attention to you, sister. He's seen your suffering. He's heard your prayers. And he's collected your tears because he loves you. He's never too distracted. And he doesn't miss one. Not even one. Because he responds to the prayer of the destitute. And he will not despise their prayer. Will you think about that in your suffering? We've talked about suffering, and we've talked about God. Now the psalmist is going to take those two things and put them together. He's helped us express our suffering. He's told it's okay to have tears in your eyes, not minimize your pain. He's taught us to keep our eye on the Lord, our God, who's doing big, majestic, beautiful missionary redemptive plans throughout all of history, but who also stoops down in the middle of that collecting your tears. And now in verses 18 on, he's going to put those two things together. Let this be recorded for a generation to come so that a people yet to be created may praise the Lord that he looked down from his holy height. From heaven, the Lord looked at the earth to hear the groans of the prisoners, to set those who were doomed free, those who were doomed to die. 
that they may declare in Zion the name of the Lord and in Jerusalem his praise when peoples gather together in kingdoms to worship the Lord. You see, our big, great, big, majestic God, our Lord God eternal, doesn't look down on us in some sort of neutral way. He looks down on us with the intention to save, with the intention to rescue us. And so this psalmist, with his tears in his eyes, as he opens up that cup off the saucer and sees his big majestic God who loves him and who collects his tears, and he sees the intention of Yahweh to save him in the midst of these tears, well then the psalm says he can not only have tears in his eyes, but praise on his lips, praise on his lips. Hmm. And sometimes in this life, Sometimes in this life, the Lord saves us from our suffering. Sometimes He heals us of our physical suffering. Sometimes He takes away our relational difficulty. Sometimes He heals our emotional difficulties or our mental illness. And sometimes He doesn't. But He's a God who saves still the same. He's a God who rescues still the same. Because the Lord will save you and will rescue all of us who believe in him from all of our suffering. Either he'll do that in your life now or for sure he will do it in the life to come. It's not a question of whether the Lord will rescue you or will save you from your suffering. It's just a question of when he chooses to do it. He will do it. He is the God who saves. He is the God who releases those condemned to death so that we might suffer today and we might suffer tomorrow. And the Lord may choose to heal you next week or he may choose not to. But eventually, when you see the face of Jesus, you shall be healed. You shall be rescued. You shall be saved. And all that suffering and pain will disappear. For we are part of something bigger, brothers and sisters. We're part of something way bigger than our own little lives. We're part of something huge. We live in this tear-filled middle between the Garden of Eden and the New Jerusalem. We live in between that, but we're not stuck here. We're not stuck in the middle. Even when it feels like it, we're not stuck in the middle, for the Lord our God has come to earth to hold our hand and bring us to the New Jerusalem. He's got us on the move. We're moving somewhere. We're moving toward healing and, and peace and shalom. We're moving to, to things we can't, even, we can't even understand. And when you, when you trust that the Lord our God, who takes our tears so seriously, has this plan between Eden and, and the New Jerusalem and has come to take me on that journey, well, then I can have tears in my eyes and I can express them, but I can have praise on my lips. I can. I can have tears in my eyes, but I can still have praise on my lips. In the middle of my suffering, your eyes might be filled with tears this morning. I can see some of you have had tears in your eyes this morning. But you're not alone, and the Lord has not abandoned you. The Lord has not abandoned you to your sin, your suffering, your pain. The Lord is with you. He's with you even now, holding your hand the hand of your loved ones who suffer. And he's bringing us home. He's bringing us home. The Lord is bringing us home. He's bringing me home. Brothers and sisters in Christ, if God's holding your hand, you can have tears in your eyes and you can have praise in your lips. It's true. Well, there's just a few verses left here, but I think they're actually the most beautiful verses of all. If you, if you look at the last six, six verses here with me, you, or you know, five verses here, you can, you can see that they, they kind of contain a summary of the whole psalm. We find the same three parts that we've been talking about. A focus on suffering, verse 23. He has broken my strength in mid-course. He has shortened my days. Take me not away in the midst of my days. 
It's suffering. But then it's a focus on God. Oh, my God, take me not away in the midst of my days. You whose years endure throughout all generations. Of old you laid the foundations of the earth and the heavens are the work of your hands. They will perish, but you will remain. All will wear out like a garment. You will change them like a robe and they will pass away, but you are the same and your years have no end. So suffering and then looking at God, it's like a summary of what we've been talking about. And then that suffering in our God coming together in praise and hope also for the future in the final verse. The children of your servants shall dwell secure and their offspring shall be established before you. But here's the thing. Here's the thing. There's something hidden in these last verses that are so beautiful. There's something here that's just so, so beautiful. And you boys and girls know that if you're going to find hidden treasure, well, you've got to do what? You've got to dig for it, right? Hidden treasures always dig it. And so if you want to get to the hidden treasure in these last couple verses, you've got to work a little bit, all right? So I know I've been preaching for a while, but I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to ask all of you, can you work with me to find the hidden treasure for a moment, all right? We're going we're gonna to dig a little bit. All right, this is what I want to do. Keep your, keep your Bible open to Psalm 102. If I open my Bible to, to Hebrews chapter 1, the author of the book of Hebrews quotes Psalm 102. Um, but here's the thing. He's not using the ESV translation when he quotes from Psalm 102. <laughs> um, but not only that, he's not even using, he, he's not quoting from, from the Hebrew text that our Bible is, is working off in Psalm 102. What the author to the book of Hebrews is doing, he's, he's quoting Psalm 102, but he's quoting an old ancient Greek version of it called the Septuagint, all right? And so what that means is, is that the quote in Hebrews 1 is not exactly the same as the words that you find in Psalm 102, which we've been reading. So this is what I want you to do. I want you to keep your Bible open to Psalm 102, and I want you to look at verses 25 to 28. And I want you to keep on looking at that. And then what I'm going to do is I'm going to read Hebrews 1, 10 through 12, which is quoting it, all right? And you're going to see they're almost exactly the same, but there's a little bit of difference to it, all right? So you look at Psalm 102, you're looking at verses 25 to 28, and I'm going to quote now for that, those verses from Hebrews chapter 1, verse 10 through 12, where it says, You, Lord, laid the foundations of the earth in the beginning, and the heavens are the work of your hands. They will perish but you remain. They will all wear out like a garment. Like a robe, you will roll them up. Like a garment, they will be changed. But you are the same, and your years will have no end. So did you see that there's a little bit of difference there? You're looking at Psalm 102. I'm reading a quote from those verses in Hebrews 1, but there's a little bit of difference, a couple of words different, right? And the, the reason for that is because Hebrews is not quoting from the Hebrew text. It's quoting from a Greek translation of that text, the Septuagint. All right. Now we're going to dig a little bit for hidden treasure. I want you to look now at Psalm 102, verse 23. Psalm 102, verse 23 says, He has broken my strength in mid-course. He has shortened my days. So the book of Hebrews doesn't quote this verse. But if you go to the, that ancient Greek translation that the author of the book of Hebrews was, was quoting from, and you read this verse in that translation, you get something like this. You look at what Psalm 102 verse 23 says, and then I'll read it in this ancient Greek translation. It says this. God responded to him in the course of his strength. He cut short his days of suffering. It's different, isn't it? So Psalm 102, verse 23 says, he's broken my, uh, sorry, you know, it says, he's broken my strength in mid-course, he's shortened my days. It's talking about my suffering. But the Greek translation the author of the book of Hebrews uses says, God responded to him in the course of his strength and cut short the days of his suffering. It's two very different things. One's speaking of, I'm in suffering, and one is speaking of, the Lord has cut short that suffering and has helped me in that suffering. So, in that ancient Greek translation, used by the author of the book of Hebrews, is saying that we're, we're suffering, but the Lord also, you can read that verse, is the Lord responding to our suffering by cutting it short. It's not just the pain that the psalmist experienced, but how God responds to that pain. 
It's not just the suffering of the psalmist, it's how God has stopped or cut short that suffering. It's not just your, about your pain, it's about how God cuts short that pain and redeems you. It's not just about your suffering, it's about how the Lord cuts short that suffering and rescues you from it. And if we want to live with tears in our eyes and praise in our lips, then we have to know how the Lord does this. How does the Lord cut short our suffering? How does he do that? And the answer, the hidden treasure, is in Hebrews chapter 1. Because Hebrews chapter 1 is speaking about who? It's speaking about Jesus. Hebrews chapter 1 is talking about Jesus Christ. The author to the, to the, the author who wrote the book of Hebrews is saying that Psalm 102 is a messianic psalm. Psalm 102 is not just talking about your suffering and my suffering. It's talking about the suffering of Jesus. It's a psalm also about the Lord Jesus. And it's talking about how the Lord also then cut short the suffering of Jesus. This is the hidden treasure, and it's the key for us to understand how this all works in our own life. Jesus suffered. Jesus had tears in his eyes. Jesus had tears in his eyes, and then the Lord cut short the day of his suffering with his victory on the cross and the resurrection. The Lord redeemed Jesus from the pit of death and raised him from the dead. And so the victory of Jesus on the cross and the victory of Jesus in the resurrection is the key to understanding how the Lord cuts short our own suffering and how the Lord rescues us and redeems us in our time of need. So we have tears in our eyes and praise on our lips because of the Lord's response to our suffering in Jesus Christ. We have tears in our eyes but praise on our lips because of the way the Lord has responded to our suffering in Jesus Christ. So think about this. None of you here chose your suffering, did you? You didn't choose to get sick. You didn't choose to have that relationship end. You didn't choose to lose a loved one. You wouldn't choose this in a million years. You didn't volunteer for it. You didn't raise your hand and say, yeah, I'll, I'll, I'll take that oh, mental illness, please. But Jesus chose his suffering. Jesus Christ chose his suffering, and he chose his suffering that he might suffer for you to end yours. Praise the Lord. Isaiah 53 says that Jesus was a man of sorrows familiar with suffering. Hebrews 5, says, 7 says that during the days of his life, Jesus offered up prayers and petitions with loud cries and tears to the one who could save him from death. Hebrews 4.15 tells us that we have a high priest who can sympathize with our weaknesses. You see, Jesus took suffering seriously. He took your suffering so seriously, he entered it by coming to earth. Jesus took his suffering seriously, but Jesus was also seriously God. Jesus was also seriously God. He bore in his humanity by the power of his divinity the suffering of the cross so that we might not perish but have eternal life. Isaiah 53 says he took up our infirmities and carried our sorrows. He was pierced for our transgressions and he was crushed for our iniquities. The punishment that brought us peace was upon him. And by his wounds, by his suffering, we are healed. You see, suffering and God come together in Jesus Christ. Suffering and God come together in Jesus Christ and on the cross. Not, brothers and sisters, not just as an example for how you ought then to deal with your own suffering, but in order to rescue us, in order to save us, in order to grab a hand and lead us to the new Jerusalem. And in order to allow us to have tears in our eyes this morning, but praise on our lips. Hallelujah. And then one day, one day you and I, we're going to leave this tear-filled middle. One day we're going to leave it and we're going to enter the city of God. And I'm going to meet Jesus. You, by grace, 
It's working through faith will meet Jesus. And Jesus, with his nail-scarred hands, will wipe away the tears from your eyes so that all that will be left will be praise on your lips. So please, please, brothers and sisters, take your pain and your suffering seriously. Don't hide it. But turn your eyes to your big and majestic, awesome, eternal God and his plan of redemption throughout history. He's listening to you. He's collecting your tears. And one day he's going to wipe them all away. Take your suffering and your Lord and put them together in faith in Jesus Christ. And I promise you, I promise you, that whether the Lord chooses to heal you tomorrow or in eternity, I promise you that as you put your faith in Jesus Christ, you will find the power to have tears in your eyes, but praise on your lips. And all God's people said, Amen. Amen. Let's pray. Our Father who is in heaven, Lord God Almighty, Yahweh, our covenant God, we come so weak. We come with tears in our eyes. And you know our suffering, Lord. You see the hidden pain. Help us to take it seriously. Wrap your loving arms around those who suffer here at Grace Fellowship Church. Hold the hands of those that they love. Be with those who suffer in silence or in private. Lord, be with those this morning who suffer due to mental illness, depression and anxiety with eating disorders and relationship problems. Be with those of us who grieve loss that was recent or is very old. Oh, Lord, the list is so long. Lift up the cup off the saucer, Lord. Lift our tear-filled eyes to heaven. We want to see you, O Lord, our big, our wonderful, our awesome God, stooping down to us in Jesus Christ. O Lord, Father in heaven, we've got tears in our eyes. Give us praise on our lips. We ask this, Father, in the name of your Son, Jesus Christ, with the Holy Spirit is the one, the true, the triune God. Amen.